Well, good morning. Welcome to Orchard. Uh, really glad you're here. We normally would begin with some announcements, but uh, we're just going to go straight into the message today. So uh, we're going to continue now uh, in worship through prayer. So let's pray together. Uh, Lord, you are holy. And just as we sang, uh, you are great. And so uh, we just want to, as we continue in worship, we want to acknowledge our feelings, whether we're insecure this morning, tired, apathetic, or uh, jazzed up and energetic. Um, we bring ourselves to you now. Part of worshiping you in spirit and truth is uh, being honest about where we're at. And no matter who we are, no matter how we come today, uh, there is no one like you, the holy God of heaven and on earth. Uh, and there's many things on earth we're tempted to worship, and many things in heaven, if we saw, we would be tempted to worship, but you are the object of our worship, our admiration, our commitment. You created everything everyone, and nothing and no one created you. And as we, I mean, we can say that, but I, I cannot fathom it, God. The uncreated creator who is listening to all of us across, not, not just this room, but this city and this world. Um, you are so high above us, but yet you you're here with us. You've revealed yourself to us. And in the past, you've, you've revealed yourself at many different times in history and at many different ways. But uh, ultimately, you have shown us who you are in the person of Jesus, the one true God in human flesh. And so thinking about you, Jesus, your life, your death, your resurrection, your teachings, how you backed it up with your words, you are amazing. And so, uh, this is worship of you. You're amazing. And we want to be like you. That is the ultimate praise. We, we want you to change us. We want you more than anything. So, Father, uh, as we open your word now, uh, help us to hear from you. Help us to receive correction, encouragement, and uh, everything we need uh, for life and for godliness um, is, is found here in your, your God-breathed word. So uh, help us to pay attention to you. And I pray that anything that I say that's not uh, from you, people would forget and you would correct me. Amen. So we're in our final two weeks of this series, uh, What We're Building is Not a Building. Um, and I just want to remind us, what, what we're doing in this series is celebrating. We've spent three years as a church together, um, and we also, over the last year, uh, remodeled this space upstairs, um, which took about 10 months. And so in this series, we've covered our story. We kind of retold the story of the church, how how. Jesus has been building this church, and uh, the goal there was really that we would be encouraged as we seek to move forward in living lives faithfully. We'd be encouraged 
because of God's faithfulness, and we can count on him moving forward. Last week, we looked at change. Obviously, this is a picture of change from that to this. But ultimately, we want to be a part of a renovation of the heart, not just a remodel of a space. That, that's what we're building, is people. And uh, today, we're going to talk about how that change happens. There's lots of different aspects to transformation into Christ-likeness, but one that absolutely can't be ignored is that we are called to change together. So um, the cosmetic changes that have happened, that they, they were they were done together. Like there was absolutely no way that I could do this or just a handful of people could do it. It was something that required everyone together to, to play a role. And it's possible with, with people playing so many different roles, whether it's here in this or on a team at work, um, it's possible to have different people playing different roles um, without God. You can do it with or without God, and it's also true of the, the, the invisible work that we're, we're trying to do of building each other up in the faith. You can do that with God. You can try to do it without him. Um, but I find, it, I find it really fascinating that consistently, if, if people move towards God, he always moves us toward each other. He always moves us towards uh, life with people. So you can never work with God without working with people. And we see this throughout the story of Scripture. Like in the Old Testament, um, the, God's people rose and fell together. In the cycle of the judges, uh, they would turn away from God together, and they'd be oppressed by their enemies together, and then they would turn back to God, often following a judge, a leader, often going to war together, and then being rescued by God together from that oppression. Or consider the case of Nehemiah. We studied Nehemiah at the beginning of 2018 as a church. And in the first chapter, Nehemiah is praying after he hears about just the terrible, ruined state of Jerusalem and its walls. And he gets this incredible permission and privilege from the king to go and rebuild the wall. And in chapter 2, he kind of surveys the wall and then he casts vision for the people. And in chapter 3, uh, it's really one of those chapters that it's just a bunch of names and it's not very interesting the first time you read it, but it's one of my favorite chapters of Nehemiah now because it talks about how they started working together. Uh, so 32 verses of stuff like this. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and they set its doors they consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him were the men of Jericho, where they built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Emery, built. So it's like next to him, next to them, next to them for a whole chapter. And it's incredibly boring the first time you read it. But when you visualize, okay, here's all these people playing their role, working together. Uh, it's a great picture of what change together looks like. So those are just a couple of biblical examples. I also have a personal favorite story of what change together looks like throughout church history. Um, in, in about the third and fourth centuries, uh, the, the, the church had become corrupt and there, there was just a lot of corruption in the world. So there was some men, specifically one man, uh, started it, it, the monastic movement, and he went out and lived in the desert seeking to live a holy life to God. Do you know what happened when, when he went out, other people went out? And so monastic means live alone, and there's all these live alones that 
like are seeking God and what happens? They, they live together. <laughs> um, and it is, I mean, it's not a perfect movement. No, no movement in church history was perfect uh, outside of the gospel movement, Jesus inaugurating the kingdom. But it's, it's just a good picture of the kind of change that we're after. Change into Christ-likeness, it happens together. We walk with God and we walk with other people. So you, can't trans- you cannot uh, outsource your transformation, your personal responsibility, and neither can I. But we also can't just take our responsibility and expect to flourish all by ourselves. So our study today, the passage we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And here Paul is addressing the church's questions about spiritual gifts. And in his letter, he tells them how they're to work together. And obviously, when we're talking about working together or change together or what we're building, um, all of that is very much implying, okay, God is at work with us. Otherwise, what we're going to do is just not going to be effective and it's not going to offer anyone any ultimate good. So let's begin by reading uh, the scripture, 1 Corinthians 12. And I'll begin in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would, ma- that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. 
but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Which is a terrible place to end, but we're just covering this one chapter because that's, that's enough to bite off. But it's a terrible place to end because it continues by unpacking the more excellent way. No matter what the gift is, no matter what your place in the body, it is the way of love that is the excellent way. So 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. Love is patient, love is kind, etc. And as we walk through this passage, chapter 12, I want to point out today how God is working change in us together. How God is at work in the church to, to enact, to orchestrate change together and the the gifts the spiritual gifts are in essence what God is doing it's not what we are doing ourselves without God but it's what God is doing in and through us so I'm going to cover these seven points fairly quickly just FYI so the first point is that God is using spiritual gifts ultimately to point us and the watching world to Jesus. This is from the first three verses of this chapter where Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about gifts. Like before you followed Jesus, when you were pagans, you, you followed these false gods however you were led. Whatever you were into, that's what you were following. But I want you to understand that this is how the spirit of God works. He says Jesus is Lord. The, the spirit's ministry in a nutshell is to take a big, a big floodlight, a big, a big spotlight, and shine it on Jesus and make Jesus clear to everyone. The Spirit never takes the center stage. He always puts Jesus front and center, and he illuminates the ministry of Jesus. And that's exactly in line with what Jesus taught before, before he was crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven. He said, when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send... He will bear witness about me. So all these spiritual gifts and all the discussion that Christians like to have, and I'm all for discussing them, we have to keep in mind that ultimately what the Holy Spirit is doing is pointing us, pointing people to Jesus. And the second principle, the second way that God is at work in the church is that there are many gifts, many manifestations of the Spirit But there is one giver of the gifts. And the giver always matters more than the gift. You see this in verses 4 through 6 where Paul says there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Variety of activities, but the same Lord. And it says, he, he says again, there's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers all these activities in everyone. So, again, spiritual gifts, this is God's power in your life. It might coincide with your natural tendency, but it might not. Because it's not natural power, it's supernatural power. 
And no matter who you are, it always takes courage to trust God. It always requires some level of vulnerability. And uh, also, nobody exercises their spiritual gifts perfectly. So that takes courage too. The first time I ever taught publicly, I was petrified. And also, it wasn't all that great. (laughs) But nobody exercises their gifts perfectly. Show me the person in the Bible who was always comfortable and experienced God deeply. It just doesn't happen. So if you want closeness with Jesus, you've got to want it bad enough. You've got to risk a little bit and risk in order to bless. But, but these many gifts all come from the one giver. And that's what unifies us together. We have different gifts, different, different parts of the body, as Paul says, but ultimately, it's all for the one Lord. The third point is that God is at work by showing up in another person's life for the benefit of others. He, he's really clear that the, the purpose of these gifts the manifestation of the spirit is for the common good. It's, it's so that everyone can be built up. We see this in verses 7 through 11. And Paul's list here is not exhaustive, but he, he, he lists a number of different gifts, utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, healing, working miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, And Paul's point, he concludes in verse 11, is these are all empowered by one and the same spirit who gives as he wills. So it's God's choice to give gifts to people, but what he's doing is building up his body through his activity in the midst of each individual member. So if if you want to know your gifts, here is, and and we're going to talk about this a little more later, here is the best way. Like, you can do the online tests and all that, but the, the biblical test is plug into community. Exercise your gifts in the context of community as you walk with Jesus. The fourth principle, the fourth point we see here is that God is at work in the church by giving different gifts to individuals, but again, they're all joined together. So they're used collectively and this is where Paul introduces the, his illustration of a body. He says, just as the body is one, you're one body, you don't, you're not like, oh, I have two arms, so you know, like, I count up all my members, and that's how many bodies I am. No, it's one body with all these different members. And so whether you're a five-year-old believer, a 10-year-old believer, a teenager, an 85-year-old, you're the church. And, and whatever your gift is, it's to be used in the context of community, used collectively. So he says we all partake, we all drink in one spirit. We're all spiritually nourished and influenced by the same source, the, the spirit of God. So uh, to me, this is really helpful because I know for myself and I believe for most people, we like to hang out with people who are like us. But what this is saying is, you need to hang out also with people who are not like you, who are not gifted the same way that you are because then you can experience more of the change that God is offering. The, the fifth principle I see here is uh, that God's at work in the church and you have a role to play. 
This goes back to personal responsibility. God is at work in the church, and your part matters. No one else can play your part except you. So in verses 14 through 20, he kind of runs through, oh, what if this part of the body started throwing a pity party? And the hand ceased to function as a hand because it didn't want to be a hand. Paul says, you're still a part of the body. You're just taking yourself out of the game. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I don't belong to, or the, the, the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Again, Paul is saying, don't throw a pity party. This is, again, this is the gift that God has given you, the place that he has arranged for you to play at this time in his body. So your part, no matter what it is, your, your role matters. And some helpful diagnostic questions uh, for me, and I think they're helpful for everyone, is if everyone participated at the same level as you, not in the same way, not everyone has the same capacity or the same gifting, but if everyone's participation level looked like yours, then what would the church look like? Would people describe it as filled with the Spirit? If everyone took risks in faith in order to bless other people in ways that you do. And not like the same ways, but just kind of like the same degree. Again, I'm not saying everyone should look the same, but engagement level. Like, are you all in? So your, your role really matters. That's what God says here in 1 Corinthians 12. And similar to that point, that your role matters, the next point is that God's at work in the church and their role, their part matters too. The people around you, we can't say, oh, I have no need of you or I have no need of you because God has composed the body in a way that we all need each other. And this is found in verses 21 through 26. So if, if everyone valued your contribution to the same degree that you value theirs, how would you feel? Does that make sense? If, if they valued your contribution to the same degree that you valued theirs, how would you feel? Would you feel appreciated and valued that, uh, you, know, th- that you know that your role matters if they, if they treated you that way? And what kind of church would it be? Not just orchard, but like you can blow this up to the worldwide church. But obviously, the, the, the global church is always expressed in a local context. The invisible church becomes visible when people actually show up and shake hands or do fist bumps. But you know what I'm saying. It's invisible global church becomes visible in a local church. So we have changed together and we're going to continue to change together for better or worse. Lastly, uh, the last point is number seven, that God is at work in the church and he's, and he's done it all in community. He's arranged it all to be done, accomplished in community. So this is in verse 27 where Paul writes, now y'all are the body of Christ and individually you're members of that body. And so one of the encouraging things for me as a pastor of this church, as a part of this church, is we have like 80% of the people that I know are committed or who come normally, we have like 80% 
who are serving somewhere. And that is evidence that we're all in this change process together. We're all seeking to bless and serve each other. And and I'm just absolutely convinced from the Bible and from my own personal experience that community is the best way to discover your gifts and to grow in your spiritual giftings. Again, gift is what God is giving us, how, how he is active in and through our lives. Unfortunately, in America... And I'm just saying, I'm just trying to paint a broad cultural picture of our context. Many people say that they're Christians, 70 to 80 percent, depending on the study. And even more say that they believe in a God. But unfortunately, many don't come to church. The same study that said, you know, 70 to 80 percent claim Christianity, claim Jesus, Uh, The same study said only 31% of Americans are practicing. And this other study from 2017, so it's fairly recent still, shows that over 50% of Americans seldom or never attend church. And if you take into consideration response bias, which says if I ask you a question and you don't know me and I have no way of knowing if you tell me the truth, (laughs) you're more likely to tell me the answer that looks better on you. Um, if you take into consideration response bias, it's probably even, the the true numbers are are probably even worse. And so I say all that to say, I I could be wrong, but it seems like we live in a culture of people who think God exists, who think they belong to Jesus, but they don't regularly practice, even by attending a weekly gathering. And if you've been around Orchard, you know we're not about like, getting lots of people to attend weekly gatherings. So that's, that's not how we measure success at all. But James 1 speaks really clearly that it's dangerous to believe, if, if you're in that camp, that you believe that there's God, good. Even the demons believe. They, they have the right theology about God, and they shudder. Faith apart from works is useless. So legitimate faith, faith that's actually alive, will be shown in action, and it's always going to be shown in community. So again, I want to be clear. The solution is not getting more people in the doors of the church. A church with more heads in the room is not necessarily a growing church. I really appreciate the way that author and pastor Dustin Willis said it. He said, distance from community is a sure sign of distance from Jesus himself. So while you cannot be in a biblical community without a church, You have to have a church for biblical community. You can be a churchgoer without necessarily living in biblical community. You can show up without actually engaging in what the Bible prescribes and describes the church to be. So you might think, wow, Ben, you're really ending this message on a negative note. You are a judgmental downer. I see why you majored in economics in undergrad. Like, it's just negative, negative. No, no. Yes, I agree. What I'm saying, it is, a, it is a statement of judgment, but I am saying it because I care. I care about the church at large. I care about the context, the, the period in time and history that we live in. And honestly, find me after the service. If I can say this with any more tenderness and compassion, let me know. But I say it because I'm hopeful. Because where the direction that we're heading 
as a culture at large doesn't have to be the direction that we continue to head. I'm, I'm saying it so that we can play our part collectively as one church community. And even if you're not like in this church community and just visiting today, I say it so that you can play your part. Like as a faithful Christian, being a witness to the watching world. Make the invisible church visible. And I also know firsthand that this is not true of many of you, but I think it's just incredibly helpful to know the context, to know the culture in which we live, so that when we engage with people, like personally, uh, if I find out that people are going to church, that's, that's great. And I don't, I don't interrogate, and I'm not promoting interrogating anyone, but I, I do like to ask follow-up questions like, oh, that's great that you go there. Like, what's that community like for you? You know, like, I, I just, I care about people, and I want to see them thrive and grow. And we, we cannot be close to Jesus without being close to community. So, I say all that. I'm hopeful because I see, I see it as what an incredible opportunity to be changed by Jesus together. And in so doing, in, in being changed together, we'll be a faithful witness to the world. So I want to close by one of my favorite lines uh, penned by one of my favorite authors. And I've shared this quote before, so you might remember it, but it's worth repeating. Dallas Willard said, the church is for discipleship. And discipleship to Jesus is for the world. So if you claim Christ we are the church, and you are a part of it. We are for, and we should be known what we're for, not what we're against. We are for a whole life of following Jesus, and that life is what the world needs. That life is what other people want, whether they know it or not. And, and so we are offering it to the world. So let's pray together. Lord, I pray that uh, we would make the most of this moment and just the, the place that we're at in history. Um, history is very complex and people are very complex. And so this is, not a, this is not an easy solution, but I believe that faithfulness is clear, that you've called us to follow you together. And... Uh, we, we need each other, and we're going to be hurt by each other, and we're going to be helped by each other. But ultimately, um, we, we believe that doing life as a community, following you together, will experience you deeply, Jesus. Because that's, that's the way that you've set it up. And so we, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to do what we cannot do. What we're building together is only something that, that you can do in our midst. And so we commit ourselves to discipleship, to you, Jesus. And just taking the next step, not comparing ourselves to others and saying I'm better than him, I'm worse than her, 
but comparing ourselves to you, Jesus, and asking, what, how would you have me grow? What's the next step in following you? And that we would encourage each other. You'd be active in our midst, helping us to encourage each other. And we embrace the missional nature of discipleship to you. We pray that as we live faithfully, um, Holy Spirit, you would shine the, the spotlight on Jesus, both in our hearts and that others around us would see him clearly.